0: How's it going, friends? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavier, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Genius Foods. On this episode of the show, I'm super excited to welcome back for the second time my good friend, Mr. Ben... Greenfield. Ben is a former bodybuilder, Ironman, triathlete, pro obstacle course racer, human performance consultant, speaker and author of 13 books, including the New York Times bestseller, Beyond Training. On this episode of the show, he's here to talk about his brand new book and one that is a long time in the making. It's called Boundless. Upgrade your brain, optimize your body and defy aging. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to cover a number of things, including protein for longevity. How much do you really need? Tools that Ben uses to track his health and fitness. Why Ben feels that gratitude is a major part of his equation for living a long and healthy life, and so much more. Ben is a bona fide biohacker, you guys. Over the few years that I've known Ben, he's tried everything and continues to do so, all in the quest for higher performance and better health. Before we get to it, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Kettle and Fire Bone Broths. There are a lot of commercially available bone broths that you can find at your local supermarket, but my favorite happens to be Kettle and Fire, because bone broth, what's the use? if it's not going to be fun to consume uh, and delicious, of course. And my favorite thing about Kettle and Fire is that they make not only um, plain bone broths, uh, which you can drink out of a mug, sort of like a tea or a coffee, but they also make soups that, are, um, that have their bone broth as the foundation. And these soups are freaking delicious. The butternut squash soup is amazing. It's also dairy-free um, and yet still somehow manages to be super creamy and their tomato bisque soup is just amazing i'm also a huge fan of their they have like a tom Ka iteration all of their soups use their bone broth and all of their bone broths come from pasture raised animals super clean organic and um, and just perfect to drink on a cold day or night. If you'd like to give anything that Kettle and Fire produces a try, well, I've got a discount code for you. All you got to do is go to kettleandfire.com slash max or use promo code maxbroth. Yeah, it's kind of a weird code, but you know, I'll take what I can get. And uh, you'll get to save a significant amount of money. So head over there, check them out. Again, I love their tomato soup. I love their... Um, Butternut squash, they also make a chili that is bomb. The beef in their chili that they use is 100% grass-fed. And uh, I like to throw some eggs on top of it sometimes. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of Kettle and Fire. So um, go check them out. Again, it's kettleandfire.com slash max. And let me know what you think. All right, guys. Now, we're just seconds away from my chat with the one and only Ben Greenfield, host of the Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast. Before we get to that, guys, please take a moment to spread the word about The Genius Life and leave that rating and review on iTunes like this one from Oh Hi Hannah. She wrote, I've been listening to The Genius Life since day one and I learned something new with each episode. Max hosts a wide variety of subject matter experts and stays interested and engaged with his guests no matter what the topic is. If it weren't for Max having Dr. Sarah Hill on to discuss the systemic impacts of hormonal birth control, I never would have gotten off the pill and cured my negative mental side effects. Thank you for enlightening us all on aspects of health and well-being. Well, Hannah, you just made my week hearing that. I'm so glad that your life has been positively impacted by this podcast uh, I really can't express how humbled and grateful I am to hear that So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to leave, to leave that review And to all you guys, take a moment, I would really appreciate that I'm doing this podcast for you Well, I'm also doing it for me, of course But I'm definitely doing it so that I can help you live a more genius life So leave a rating and review I notice all of the ratings and I read all of the reviews And you could get yours read on the next show How cool would that be? finally as some of you guys know i now have a phone number that allows you to text me directly and join my text community all you gotta do is send a message to 310-299-9401 if you live in canada or the united states you can join my text message community give me real-time feedback on this episode or any other and get real-time updates from yours truly again that number is 310-299-9401 shoot me a text and uh, I look forward to hearing from you. All right, without further ado, here is my show with Mr. Ben Greenfield. Mr. Ben Greenfield, welcome back to the Genius Live, brother. Yo, Mr. Max, how's it going, dude? Good man. You know, I, I always love getting the chance to talk to you because I'm always. Uh, I feel like when I'm when I chat with you, I learn about some new type of light to shine on your balls or some new biohack, usually involving putting something over your butt.
1: Yeah, the butt can never be too full. You know, there's all, all sorts of things. And I, actually, here I got one for you. I'm actually um, I I lost the internet at my house, so I'm taking this this uh, call on my phone, and I'm walking out in the wonderful crisp winter sunshine out here in spokane and i've got a uh methylene blue i put i always when i go for a walk in the sunshine do a little methylene blue um the other one that works really well is anything with chlorophyll like chlorella and it actually uh if you if you do it it'll upregulate the cytochrome c oxidase in your mitochondria so you get a little bit better mitochondrial activity but then um uh, if you combine it with infrared light or photons from sunlight it actually accelerates the activity of the C oxidase even more. So it works with, with any like dark greens or dark blues, like methylene blue or, uh, or chlorophyll from like chlorella. Both of those work really well. I think it's Cyrg uh, did a did a big, big uh, research article on that um, on his Green Med Info website a few years ago. And ever since then, when I go out in the sunlight, if I have a chance, especially if it's like a cognitively demanding day, I'll do a little bit of methylene blue or a little bit of uh, chlorophyll.
0: That's amazing. Somebody – I was at uh, the Biohacker Summit recently in Helsinki, which I know you're friends with those guys as well. And somebody gave me like a little methylene blue thing, and I didn't know what it, <laughs> was, what it was. What is that yeah. stuff?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's technically, just as as the name implies, like, like a blue molecule. I think it's actually synthetic. It's synthesized and often sold as a fish tank cleaner. But if you buy pharmaceutical-grade methylene blue, it's actually a wonderful uh, nootropic. Huh. And apparently it has – some type of, and I, I'm probably going above my pay grade now, but but there's a doctor who I spoke to a few months ago who used it with his patients. He does like uh, UV blood light therapy, you know, like a uh, almost a very similar like ozone therapy for the blood, but yeah. uses light and will often pair that with methylene blue because apparently it has some kind of like an antibacterial effect as well. So
0: super interesting,
1: interesting little molecule. You just want to make sure you don't get the fish tank stuff. You want like pharmaceutical grade or i'm guessing who you ran into at that biohacker summit was uh either scott Shear or dr ted achacoso because they have popularized these little uh sublingual they call them trochees like these little square things that you can dissolve
0: yeah that's what it was under your tongue yeah
1: yeah and they they actually have a nice little blend they blend um like a microdose of nicotine Mm -hmm. and a microdose of cbd and then they put i think a little bit of caffeine and some methylene blue and dude if you, if you put that under your tongue and go for a walk in the sunshine you feel like somebody's just like pouring a cup of coffee over your brain
0: <laughs> that's amazing yeah I didn't I didn't try it because it came in like a little baggy it looked like a like an illicit yeah. drug you know like the bag that... yeah it's,
1: it's kind of ghetto I, I think they gotta work on their marketing or yeah. their packaging at least
0: dude well I'm, I'm really excited for your new book man I feel like this was a long time in the making because your last, your, your last book came out some time ago and uh, yeah. that, that was Beyond Training, which was like, I don't know, like a 500-page tome to, you know, building your body and, and getting fit without destroying it, which I know has become, uh, you know, something that you're really passionate about, like, a, you know, uh, an idea that you're passionate about communicating. But Boundless is more about longevity and, um, you know, the brain and the body and that, and that sort of connection. So I'd love to learn about, about, yeah, kind of the things you're talking about in that book.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right, like beyond training, I wrote, you know, when I was just steeped in, well, I first started writing that when I was competing in Ironman triathlon, which I did for like 10 years, you know, relatively masochistic endurance sport. And despite kind of looking good in spandex and being able to really have a big aerobic motor on the bike, I I started getting like blood and biomarker testing and really found that despite being fit, you know, I was hypercortisolic and had really high CRP and homocysteine and a high LPPLA2, like a marker of vascular inflammation. I had quite a bit of thyroid dysregulation. I was kind of like borderline hypogonadal as far as my, my free testosterone levels. And I was like, well, crap, you know, this is, there's stuff going on here that's showing me that, that being fit at that point in my life, you know, I was just like a total like gym rat, personal trainer, triathlete, former a bodybuilder I thought that you know fitness was kind of synonymous with health and so I took a deep dive and then I you know with all the research I did for a couple of years Rope Beyond Training which kind of as the name implies goes into all the stuff that goes beyond just fitness you know like taking care of your gut and and you know the brain inflammation self-quantification sleep you know all those things that kind of kind of get left behind by a lot of a lot of hard-charging athletes and then um with Boundless you know, not only has has a lot of research kind of come up in the in the six years or I think seven years now since I've written Beyond Training, but you know, I, the anti aging and longevity has really, really been something that's that's been a key interest of mine for the past three years. Everything from you know modern science techniques like you know the use of peptides or you know other things you know like the methylene blue we were talking about or um, you know even things that we've learned from the blue zones. And so I've I've been learning a lot about that and really wanted to write a book about it. But, you know, I've also been really focusing on things like the spiritual disciplines like meditation and yoga and gratitude and, and relationships and wanted to weave that into a book. So I feel like that was really neglected in Beyond Training. And then just wanted to revisit, you know, the whole realm of, of biohacking, which is grown by leaps and bounds. So uh yeah, Boundless was long, but be, or or beyond training was long, but boundless was like over a thousand pages when I turned it into the editor and we, we cut it down to about 650 pages, but it's kind of split into like mind optimization, body optimization and spirit optimization. And uh, so it's called boundless, upgrade your brain, optimize your body and defy aging. Um And so, uh so yeah, I consider it to be almost like just a, just a cookbook, just like a human blueprint, not just for the body and the brain, but for overall longevity, purpose, happiness relationships. So uh so yeah, it, it's it's been quite an undertaking, and you know, started it three years ago, and finally comes out in January.
0: Dude, I'm so excited! How one thing I've always wondered about you: how do you how do you find how do you determine whether or not a, a product or a supplement that you're taking is worth, uh, you know, continuing to use for the long haul? Because I feel like at any given time you're trying just a number of different things. How do you get a sense of what's working, what's not?
1: Well, self qualification is is the biggest. Either, you know, in in terms of uh of blood which is the most common metric i use uh i use wellness fx i do a quarterly really comprehensive panel with them it's like nine tubes of blood and you gotta go <laughs> drink a bunch of coconut water afterwards um <laughs> and uh then i also do on a yearly basis like a really good gastrointestinal panel i like uh genova diagnostics has a really good three-day gut panel it's a three-day stool panel which is important versus like the one-off stool donor because everything from parasites to yeast to fungus to bacteria kind of fluctuate on a daily basis and so by doing doing three measurements three days in a row you get a really good look at bacterial balance yeast fungus parasites all that stuff and then um i also do a yearly uh and and sometimes more than that if i'm if i'm taking things that that might affect hormones but a yearly dutch panel uh which is a dried urine test that will test for uh not just things like testosterone and estrogen and cortisol and melatonin and DHEA, but they'll also test your neurotransmitters now, uh, like uh, urinary metabolites that are indicative of levels of things like dopamine and serotonin. And then uh, they also will test upstream and downstream metabolites of, let's say something like cortisol. So if you have really, really, let's say low cortisol, you know, old school thought was, oh, you have adrenal fatigue or Cushing syndrome or something that would that would be indicative that your adrenal glands aren't working properly. But if you look at cortisol metabolites, you might see that the metabolites are really high and your cortisol clearance is just really high. So your adrenal glands are working just fine. You just have really rampant turnover of cortisol, which a lot of times you'll see in like athletes or sometimes people with hyperthyroidism, things like that. So I, I like it way more than kind of like the old school blood panel for hormones or, um, or adrenal stress index, which is kind of a commonly used salivary Index for hormones, so I like that one. And then um, there's a really, really good evaluation. I also will, uh, you know, a lot of folks who want to take a deeper dive in like micronutrient status, fatty acid profile, like omega-3, omega-6 balance, um, uh, mineral balance, metals, things like that. Uh, there is a, another test, also by Genova Diagnostics, the same company that that does that gut panel. It's called uh, NutriVal. And that's a really, really comprehensive look at a whole bunch of stuff that like a, a basic blood panel won't give you. Um, and then finally, you know, th- this is not really related to self-quantification, but I recommend that, you know, if people are testing blood, they're testing stool, they're testing urine and they're testing saliva to kind of figure out what's going on in their bodies and how their bodies is responding to any particular diet or supplementation protocol. Um, like getting, getting a DNA test, like even if it's just 23andMe, which... Technically, it doesn't test for that many SNPs, but it's decent. And then exporting your 23andMe data to a service like, you know, like Rhonda Patrick's Genetic Genie or Dr. Ben Lynch's Stratagene. So you can actually get a deeper dive into the health implications of your genetic report. I think at least, you know, once in a lifetime, everybody should do that just to see, you know, do I have increased need for glutathione? Do I have increased need for, say, you know, vitamin D? Uh, do I have limited nitric oxide pathways? Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can glean from that. And so so I, I'm, I'm frequently running tests like that, or at least, you know, once in a lifetime recommending people get a genetic panel and, and export the results to a good website. And then, of course, there are the things you can track on a daily basis, right? Like, HRV is a huge one. I mean, that that's a real-time measurement, your heart rate variability, because it's monitoring your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system, it's a really good, like real time test of exactly how something, how your body is responding to something from a nervous system standpoint, like on the fly. So if I start a new diet or I start taking a new supplement, um, I have two things I'll use to measure my heart rate variability. One would be, I, I have the aura ring and I just wear that all the time. And so I can check in on that every day and it spits out in the morning, what's called a readiness score, which is Based on your previous day's training and your, how, how well you slept, and your heart rate variability, your resting heart rate, your body temperature. So that really gives me a good running metric of how my body is responding to anything. And then um, I also have an app called uh, NatureBeat, and that one requires you to put on a heart rate monitor, but it's kind of cool because you can, you can track HRV in real time, right? So, like the Aura Ring will take, I think it's 12 different five-minute measurements while you're asleep during the night but with the nature beat you can just strap on the, the, the like this bluetooth enabled chest right or a, or a, a bluetooth enabled chest heart rate monitor and then it sends data to this app called nature beat and it says okay here's what's called your low frequency score which is indicative of your sympathetic fight and flight nervous system activity and then it'll send also the metrics on your high frequency score, which is indicative of your parasympathetic nervous system activity. So you can, you can get super precise. You can be like, okay, so I started taking this new brand of fish oil and I noticed my sympathetic nervous activity, like kind of jumped, like my body was going into fight and flight syndrome. Something's up, you know, something didn't really agree with me. Or you could even like wear it to the gym and you could, you could you know say, okay, well squats and deadlifts just jacked my sympathetic nervous system way up. So, Although normally you'd think, well, jacking your sympathetic fight or flight nervous system way up would be a bad thing. If you're in the gym, that's actually a good thing. Like you want to choose the exercises that are like the most stressful to your body. And as long as you've rested and recovered afterwards, those are the ones that are going to give you the most bang for your buck. So it's kind of cool. You can track in the gym what your nervous system is doing and then say, okay, so this workout's going to be really good for me if I, if I really need to, you know, to crush myself or or do a big dose of fitness and then recover afterwards. So, um, those are those are some of the biggies. And then there are there are also like one-off measurements you can do. Like let's say somebody sends you some electrolyte supplement and claims that it's like the bees' knees for replenishing electrolytes, like some you know, trace liquid mineral supplement or a or a chelated minerals capsule or something like that. Well, you could get like a like a urine test strip, right? And you could test your urine osmolality and specific gravity and actually see if it truly affected your hydration status when you started taking that mineral. So so yeah, I always have little little things around the house that I can test or track with. Um, you know, I listen to my body, and I uh, I stay away from the whole uh, the whole muscle testing thing for the most part. You know, where you have somebody whatever you know have you hold your supplement in one hand and they test how
0: strong your arm is when they push it <laughs> up and down.
1: I. I uh, I'm not a fan of that one. At least I have, until I see convincing data on that, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of that metric.
0: Yeah, my like the, my BS radar goes off hardcore when people do that. I think it's called like is it I don't know nut- nutritional like therapy testing or something like that. I don't I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's different forms of like NTA or the kinesio testing or muscle testing. You know, it's like the stereotypical. You're at the county fair. You know, and somebody jumps out at you with some bracelet or wristband, and you know, slaps it on you, and and uh, says, "Okay, I'll hold out your arm and push it down," or they try to make you balance. They're like, "See, see," and like, "Well, technically, you uh, you push me harder, or you put your hand on a different spot, or you know, there's there's a whole bunch of bias. Even if they, even if they don't have malicious intentions, which I never assume. Like, I just I, I think that the that the testing is pretty flawed."
0: Yeah. When was the last time um, a gene test caused you to change something in your diet or lifestyle?
1: Oh, I I recently had a whole genome sequencing done with uh, the health nucleus in California and found a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, I I never got off of a 23andMe report. Like, uh, for example, you know, I'm walking in the sun right now, and it turns out I don't have any of the genetics responsible for converting uh, sunlight into vitamin D properly. So no matter how – because that baffled me for a long time, right, because I'm a total outdoorsy guy. I'm in the sun a lot, even though I live in Spokane, you know, I travel to Florida and California and Hawaii. Like I'm, I'm in the sun a lot. My vitamin D was just like always like 20 or 30. And it turns out it's cause I can't convert sunlight into appreciable amounts of vitamin D. And, you know, perhaps that was some type of protective mechanism, you know, developed somewhere back in my ancestry to, I don't know, keep me from getting skin cancer or something, but you know, now it doesn't serve me that well. And so I supplement with, you know, like a vitamin D vitamin K blend. And I, I eat a lot of, you know, organ meats and fat soluble vitamins and, and egg yolks and you know things that, that could potentially help with that and you know uh, another one would be like glutathione right so you know so some of these genetic tests they only test for a few SNPs of your glutathione status and they'll say oh you you're a poor uh, they'll call it like a poor producer of superoxide dismutase or you um, you have low levels of glutathione uh, production and the fact is sometimes the 14 other SNPs associated with glutathione production are just fine but they didn't test those, right? So sometimes the glutathione thing, you got to get closer to a whole genome sequencing to know that. But it does turn out that, you know, both myself and I've also had my my uh, twin boys tested. Like none of us have very good glutathione production ability. So you know, I I do everything from you know like a liposomal glutathione. Um, I, when I travel, I'll sometimes even do like intramuscular like glutathione injections and. Um, you know, speaking of sticking stuff up your butt, you know, uh, a coffee enema is actually a good way to, uh, kickstart your endogenous glutathione production. And there's even a, I found a doc down in Florida, a doctor, uh, John Lawrence. He actually makes like high dose glutathione suppositories, which is really <laughs> nice. Cause the issue with glutathione is it just gets like the oral bioavailability is pretty low unless you do it like an injection or an IV or you, uh, you dissolve it under your tongue. But, um, Rectal delivery, you know, of anything really, melatonin or glutathione or anything like that. Um, a lot of folks who don't get anything from an oral supplementation can actually do pretty well with like suppository or or something like that. So those are a couple of examples, like vitamin D and glutathione, and another one is um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. You know, I know you're big in the. Cognition and, and brain department, and by the way, your, your book Genius Foods is still one that I, I consider to be one, one of the best books out there written. You know, for, for from a nutritional standpoint, as far as you know, foods to help support the brain. I think I actually cite your book in in Boundless regarding that. So it's a great book, and um, the the brain derived neurotrophic factor piece uh, that also was a genetic snip that in again myself and my boys turned out to be something that we were a little bit deficient in. And so because of that, you know, not only do I prioritize things that have been shown to increase BDNF, um, you know, like uh, lion's mane is probably one of the, one of the ones that I use most often. And um, I even take a little bit of psilocybin every few days because it can also help with that. But I also, you know, make sure I do a lot of walking, like low level aerobic exercise, and also I sauna a few times a week, which also helps with BDNF. And, And all those things are things that had I not known from a genetic standpoint, that i was deficient in them i probably wouldn't prioritize them as much as i do you know the, those for me are now non-negotiables just because you know i it, just because you're you know you have the genes you're, you're holding the dynamite doesn't necessarily mean anything's going to happen unless you actually like the dynamite so i just you know i, I engage in, in healthy lifestyle practices to make sure that i take into account some of those genetic factors
0: that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think the brain health part of health and longevity is is so crucial. What are some other things that you discuss in the book in terms of um, procuring better brain health? In the, uh, I know you talk about ten foods that that quote unquote break your brain. Do you want to talk about some of those?
1: Well, I mean, really, I mean, I, I think you you've probably talked about things like, you know, everything from uh, some of the gliadin proteins, the potential for neural inflammation, you know, such as you would get from like a concentrated source of gluten. Arguably I, I think that a bigger part of it is the gut inflammation that allows for the proteins to be crossing the gut blood barrier anyways. And I, I think the bigger issue with that is glyphosate more than it is gluten. I think I think most folks can do okay with, with wheat unless they have full-blown celiac disease. I think it's other factors like stress and glyphosate, other herbicides and pesticides, et cetera, that are a bigger issue when it comes to gluten. You know, and, and you've you've probably talked a lot about, you know, mold mycotoxins, uh, you know, even, even again, you know, organic versus non-organic and some of the potential implications for, for brain inflammation or disruption of the blood, blood brain barrier. Um, but, but when it comes to the brain, you know, some of the stuff I found, uh, I think kind of flies under the radar, you know, like, um, like peptides, for example, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about the field of peptides just because there's, there's so much data now, uh, being, being released on the use of these tiny amino acid sequences, to target cell receptors in a very, very precise way. So, um, you know, for, for example, when it comes to the brain, uh, there's, there's one peptide that's often used in athletes to fix tendons and, and muscle issues and lower inflammation even in the gut called BPC-157. Uh, and most of these peptides are, are injectable, very similar to insulin, right? You have an insulin syringe, you get a little bit of this stuff, you, uh, you inject it like right around the, the fat around the abdomen, and, um, and it, it does a very, very good job at neural inflammation. Um, a, another one, uh, that can really help out with both neural inflammation and the blood brain barrier and BDNF. There, there's actually two of them. One is called cerebrolysine. It's also known as CMAX. Uh, a lot of folks now are using it for TBI and concussion as well. You can get it as an intranasal spray and you just, you know, you just basically snort this stuff and it's wonderful. Wonderful for the brain, especially if you have inflammation. And then um, there's, uh, you know, some of these peptides are small enough. You look at what's called the Dalton size, and if it's about 500 Daltons or smaller, they can actually be absorbed transdermally. And there's one called uh, called dihexa, D-I-H-E-X-A, and you can actually put it transdermally on the carotid artery, right? like on the other side of the neck, and it does a wonderful job acting very similarly. You, you do like that and cerebral lysine at the same time, and you know, a lot of people are using things like Paracetam or you know other nootropic blends, whether it's, you know, it's Qualia or Alpha Brain or Siltep or any of these others. And that that one two peptide combo is amazing as far as giving you you know even even on a sleep deprived day. You know that, that's one of the things I'll use instead of you know like the like the popular you know uh, drug uh modafinil. You know the narcolepsy drug that's 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 kind of used off label for cognitive enhancement or for, for combating jet lag, that cerebral lysine combo, I think works a lot better. And so, um, yeah, the problem with peptides is, is a lot of them are, are notoriously tainted. They're, they're unclean. They don't have in them what they say they have in them. But, you know, I, I, I encourage people if they want to look into peptides, um, not only do I have a few podcasts on it on my website, but uh, I talk about them in the book, but if you go to the international peptide society website, which I think is is uh, Peptidesociety.org. Hmm. Um, you can hook up with a good medical practitioner who can work with you on a on a peptide protocol. So that was one thing that that I found writing the book that I that I really liked. And you know another one that there's a there's a growing body of research on for um, you know we were talking about cytochrome c oxidase and the use of methylene blue and combining sunlight or infrared light and methylene blue or chlorophyll for activating mitochondria. Well, you can actually target neural tissue uh, intranasally or over the head with some of these uh, new uh, photobiomodulation devices. Hmm. Like there's one company called ViLight that's doing a lot of really interesting research uh, even on Alzheimer's and dementia, another area I know I know is uh, relevant to you. And um, these are like head-worn devices. Uh, one, one produces an alpha signal, one produces a gamma signal. And they've got some really good research now coming out on that, not just for cognitive enhancement but also for, for combating dementia and Alzheimer's. And it's literally like a head-worn device that's kind of like a like using a, i believe it uses both red and near infrared and you you put it over your head you work for about 20 minutes it has a little uh nasal probe that goes uh, into your nose and kind of targets neural tissue through the nasal passages and you know so, some of that stuff i i think is a wonderful wonderful addition especially if you've already got your diet dialed in you know in, in terms of your omega-3 omega-6 balance and um, and, 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 uh, you know, supplementation or even the use of these things like, like peptides. And then I guess one other thing I should mention is, uh, in writing the book, you know, one, one thing I noticed is if you look at some of these diets, some of these popular diets, like say the paleo diet, um, you know, rich in, you know, bacon and, and meat and, <laughs> you know, even like, you know, tons of avocados, right. And, and coconut milk and, um, and you know, seeds and nut butters, you know, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, bacon-flavored chocolate and all this stuff that's big on the paleo diet. Well, if you actually look at the omega-6, omega-3 profile of you know some of these so-called healthy diets, it's pretty horrific. Like it can get as high as a standard American diet. Like you can see like 20 to 1 to 30 to 1 ratios of omega-6 to omega-3 if you break down that diet. And I, I really think that that most folks uh, could really benefit from like higher dose omega-3 even supplementation right like not just kind of that smash approach of you know sardines and, and herring and mackerel and anchovies and what's the last one salmon i think it is well like,
0: salmon is a great on one, a smash yeah.
1: diet the, yeah the yeah i think those are the five that are that are on the smash diet as far as being clean omega-3 rich fish but um you know after seeing all that data and i do a lot of those foods right? like i'm into avocados and coconut milk and stuff like that especially when i'm when i'm traveling and um i uh i supplement now with with more omega-3s than i used to after writing that book you know i take about eight to ten grams a morning now with breakfast and and i and then i also will have you know like sardines or mackerel or herring or anchovies with lunch sometimes a nice cut of of fresh steelhead or or salmon with dinner and so you know the omega-3 ratio of people even eating a healthy diet is uh pretty subpar in many cases that was another thing I, i noticed when i was working on the book
0: Yeah, I mean, I think omega-3s are super important also depending on genes, you know, if you happen to possess an ApoE4 allele, um, I think fish oil becomes crucially important. If your diet is not, you know, an an optimized diet, if you're on the standard American diet, yeah, I mean, that omega-6 to omega-3 ratio can shoot sky high. But I've, I've always been under the impression that a paleo diet is pretty well controlled for that ratio. I mean, like you mentioned, avocados, coconut oil, they don't – I mean, neither of those foods have appreciable amounts of polyunsaturated fats, which are what the omega-6 and omega-3 fats are, right? Like avocados are primarily mufas, monounsaturated fats, which you don't really yeah, have to yeah, worry
1: so, about. So, so, Some of them might be coming from the seed and nut butters more than like the, the avocados and the, the coconut oil or the coconut yeah. milk. Some of it is, is definitely coming from from the meat, from uh, you know, especially things like uh, I believe the, the, that uh, uh, you know things like bacon, and especially if if you're consuming grain-fed meat, that's another big issue. But you know, who did a really good breakdown of this is uh, a, a couple of folks who do really good breakdowns in terms of micronutrient analysis and omega three analysis. They also have a really good book, uh, Mira and Jason Calton. Hmm. and I interviewed them, and we talked about this a little bit as well, and. Um, and yeah, they, they did an analysis of a, of a few of these, you know, paleo diets and, and found it to be be pretty skewed or at least skewed more than it should be. And that's not to say you don't need omega-6s. I mean, you know, they're an important part of, uh, I believe it's the cardiolipin component of the, of the cell membrane or the mitochondria. But, you know, it's just the ratios. The ratios are, uh, are kind of subpar.
0: They're important. Yeah, I'm glad that we kind of made the transition over to like macronutrients because I wanted to ask your perspective after writing this book on protein. So, you know, another longevity book that came out fairly recently was Dr. Gundry's book. And I had him on my podcast. I interviewed him. I'm sure that you did as well. Um, And he takes this stance that I actually didn't agree with that the key to longevity is a low protein (laughs) diet. Yeah. And I want to get your take because I know that obviously you've, you know, you've put this book together, but you're also an athlete, you know, you also are somebody who just physically, you know, you, you, you're a strong guy. And I know that having, you know, strength and being a, being a, you know, a vigorous uh, organism is important to age well. So what's your take on protein? How much should people be eating? And where do you get yours from? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, and a big reason for for Gundry's thoughts are all based on, you know, the mammalian target of, of rapamycin and the idea that that switch, you know, when when activated, which can be done with excess protein intake or even moderate protein intake, can quell cellular autophagy, which is basically probably the most important longevity enhancing tactic that exists, cellular autophagy, whether it's, you know, achieved via fasting or via hormesis such as through exercise. Or heat, or cold, or you know many of the things we see many of the, you know, the blue zones consuming, you know herbs and spices and bitters. Autophagy is incredibly important, and when mTOR is constantly activated, autophagy is quelled. And you know there there are a few things to take into consideration though. First of all, um, you, you you have to consider activity levels, and you have to consider uh, protein synthesis and and muscle breakdown, and the fact that especially in active folks. You know, the, the lion share of the data shows that for muscle protein synthesis and for muscle repair and for proper nitrogen balance, you typically need about 0. 0.55 minimum to 0. 0.8 grams per pound of protein, 0. 0.55 to 0. 0.8 grams per pound of protein. Now, at the same time, I've seen very little evidence that exceeding 0. 0.8 grams per pound of protein offers additional benefits for muscle protein synthesis there might be some really far ends of the curve such as a bodybuilder or someone who's who's in the gym for two or three hours a day or someone who might be i don't know you know doing 50 marathons in 50 days or something like that who might have protein needs that go over and above that but for the average healthy exercising person or athlete you're looking at 0.55 to 0.8 grams per pound. So what I encourage folks to do is to shoot for that, but to also prioritize cellular autophagy. Um, And and that would mean that, you know, sure, you're eating 0.55 to 0.8 grams of protein per day, but you're also working in things like a 12 to 16 hour intermittent fast, uh, even a protein cycling type of approach where there are certain days or certain periods of the year where you're using something similar to like Walter Longo's fasting mimicking diet, right? Where you have, you know, anywhere from three to five days where you're eating, you know, 40 to 50% of the amount of calories that you normally consume. And so, so you're activating cellular autophagy in a very profound manner multiple times per year, you know, working in things like I mentioned earlier, like regular use of a sauna or a cold shower or a cold soak, the, the, the use of frequent use, you know, of, of bitters and herbs and spices. So you get that mild hormetic effect that can also increase cellular autophagy. So you want to focus on that stuff. And, and then also, you know, a, a lot of the data also suggests that high levels of methionine and high levels of leucine, uh, which you can get, you know, depending on the composition of, of your protein. A diet in pretty high amounts that might be an issue, and so two 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 big red flags I see are high consumption of muscle meat in the absence of glycine, right? So meaning someone who's eating let's say a carnivore diet that's comprised of ribeye steaks from Costco three times a day, rather than a properly composed nose to tail approach that works in things like organ meats and bone broth, the sources of glycine. Or even if someone weren't even able to do those, at least the use of, you know, even like glycine supplementation. And then the other one would be the very popular use of branched chain amino acids, which are incredibly popular in the fitness world. And not only do I consider them to be expensive flavored water, because the data on CAAs is pretty much non-existent in terms of it accelerating muscle protein synthesis or recovery or performance or anything like that. But they also have very high amounts of leucine. And so when you're spiking leucine like that, you're activating mTOR constantly, you're shutting down cellular autophagy. And I'm, I'm not a fan of high amounts of leucine or methionine, and so so in summary, I would say zero point five five to zero point eight grams of protein per pound of body weight, being cognizant of continuously engaging in activities that might cause upregulated cellular autophagy, and then also making sure that your diet is not really high in methionine and leucine.
0: Yeah, I like uh I like that a lot. I feel like the the whole thing about like eating a low protein diet, I feel like it's uh And the link between mTOR, which you eloquently um, described, you know, I think it's there's a lot of hypothesis there, but I think in practice, um, you know, the minute you you take your plate and you remove protein from it, what are you going to end up eating more of? What's the average person going to end up eating more of carbs and fat, which is Mm -hmm. essentially energy, which your average person, again, is already inundated with. So, yes. Yeah.
1: Also also less satiating
0: than protein, yeah. right?
1: And and you know, two of the most satiating, you know, components of of our diet would be protein and fiber. And you know, I'm even I'm even convinced now that a lot of people with compromised guts might actually have increased risk of things like diverticulosis or um or gut inflammation in response to a high like raw fiber diet with a lot of vegetables. Just because I think they can can do a real number on the gut, especially if if you have leaky gut or if you're under a lot of stress, you're not digesting foods properly. You know, I used to be on, you know, and I preached this for years huge kale smoothie in the morning, tons of spinach, you know, lots of oxalates too, which is probably creating an issue in addition to the high amounts of fiber. And I would eat these big ass salads for lunch and I would have like bloating and, and gas in the afternoon and undigested food particles and stool the next morning. And I, I've since adopted approach of doing most of my vegetables rather than raw or even, you know, large amounts of dark leafy greens blended, you know, cooked, steamed, boiled, pureed. I use a lot of vegetable powders rather than like raw vegetables with all the fiber. I think, I think fiber is just a little bit overemphasized. And, you know, I, I think if people are having gut issues and can't figure out what it is and they're still eating a ton of raw vegetables and a ton of fiber – Back off it a little bit and and just see see how your gut responds and you know I I think that yeah fiber is satiating but some people some people overdo it
0: yeah I agree I mean I think that it's it's definitely easier to uh, to digest cooked vegetables but then you know some of the research on on like some of the compounds that are created when you chew raw crucifers like i'm sure you've talked about sulforaphane which is just one of them uh the isothiocyanate in cruciferous vegetables that's created when you chew um chew them you know it's a powerful activator of our body's endogenous detox pathways and you kind of lose that uh when you cook these vegetables so I've always felt like it's good to kind of have like a like a blend, you know. Not to go overboard with the raw vegetables, you know, especially if you have trouble digesting them. But to but to incorporate some degree of like I don't know sprouts or uh, I don't know yeah. radishes here and there, things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which, which admittedly, like sprouts and radishes, that's really not. They, they don't have quite as much of those very hard to break down, you know, cellulose fibers in them as like a a big salad comprised of dinosaur kale <laughs> or something like that. And they're also going to be lower in oxalates. And um, you know, there, there there was something else uh, as you were talking about the uh, sulforaphane. Uh, I forget what I was going to say. But any, anyways, yeah, I think the. Oh, I remember what I was going to say um, another thing that you should take into consideration if the satiety is an issue for you and you are you're, you're eating moderate amounts of protein to get that and and you're you're wanting the same effect of fiber you know any of these kind of like gel like compounds that that are essentially you know a lot of these are they're, they're basically like an h3o molecule they form a, a gel like component of water a very viscous material when you consume them they're incredibly satiating probably the, the two top examples of that i think i have, have recipes that incorporate both in the book would be uh, like a really good chia seed slurry, right? Where you just create like this chia seed gel that you keep in a glass mason jar in your refrigerator and you can use that as a topping in, in yogurts or as a base for smoothies. That's incredibly satiating, that viscous gel. And and of course another perfect example of that is bone broth. You know, bone broth has that same gel-like structure in the water, very viscous. When you have a good bone broth or a good chia seed slurry, that's also very satiating. And you know, not a lot of people talk about using gels and you know the gel-like form of water to achieve satiation as well. But it's very good. It's also very you know very nourishing to the gut as well.
0: True satiety, I think, is so important. Get, eating until you're full. Um, which just goes to show you how bad that advice was over the past couple of decades just to eat small meals throughout the day and to never really fill yourself up. I think that there's benefit to stretching out the stomach with food, uh, mechanically. I mean, it shuts off hormones like, uh, I mean, primarily ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. So I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Any way to get that, that, you know, that, that satiety is, uh, is crucial.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a personal trainer, I used to preach that, you know, graze like a squirrel, five to seven meals a day. And I'd I'd show up to my personal training studio with my yogurt, my carrot sticks, my chicken and rice, my leftovers from dinner night before, two protein bars, you know, a little little, you know, bottled smoothie and just be kind of putting food down the hatch all day long. And, you know, again, you return to cellular autophagy in a constantly fed state or even just like a constantly fueled state, you shut that down a little bit and. You know, you, you miss out on some of these benefits that we've seen with a compressed feeding window and kind of a little bit of an intermittent fasting approach. And then, yeah, like it, it, it really doesn't seem to provide much of an increase in satiety at all. And furthermore, you know, constant surges of glucose is going to quell fat oxidation. You know, for me personally, I follow kind of like a cyclic keto diet where I really don't eat any carbohydrates all day long. And then at the very end of the day, I'll refuel with carbohydrates. Now, I should note that I'll, I'll typically work out in the afternoon or the early evening, which can increase your insulin sensitivity and kind of allow for your muscle to be almost like a glucose dump for the, for the carbohydrates that you have in the evening. So even though your insulin sensitivity is technically higher in the morning, you can artificially induce an insulin sensitive state in the evening if you work out in the afternoon or the early evening, and by saving all your carbohydrates for the end of the day, you're increasing your fat oxidation rate throughout the day. And then you're refueling with carbohydrates when you're in a very insulin sensitive post-workout state. So you got some glycogen on board for the next day's workout or activities. And then you also get a surge in serotonin, which can help you to sleep a little bit. So, so for me, it just, it just works really well to save my car to the end of the day. Most folks I will advise to do that aside from athletes because You know, the the data on athletes show that, you know, the average person works out. You don't have to, like, drop everything and go eat a post-workout meal. Just by eating two satiety, ad libitum, your glycogen levels are fully restored after about 24 hours. However, they're not restored until at least eight hours. So what that means is if you're an athlete or even like, I don't know, competing CrossFit and doing a two-a-day or something like that, you actually do benefit if you're doing a morning workout and an afternoon or evening workout and having some carbs with breakfast because your glycogen levels are not full by the time you get to that afternoon or evening workout. So athletes, I think, shouldn't use that, that type of cyclic keto approach and should instead, if they're doing a two-a-day, actually have carbohydrates after their first workout of the day and also after their second workout of the day.
0: Do you find value ever in eating carbs before a workout?
1: uh i i will do that if the workout is competitive meaning like if i've got a race for example yeah two hours before the race i'll have a sweet potato or a yam or a purple potato with some honey and some sea salt and sometimes even like right before the starting gun goes off i'll have one of those you know maltodextrin and fructose infused gels which you know you know in in these days i'll combine that with exogenous ketones because when you simultaneously elevate ketone bodies and glucose it's like it's like jet fuel because your body has two, two fuel substrates available. Um, the, uh, the thing is, though, that there's some really cool data showing that if you train low and race high, meaning if you and, – and when I say race, I mean maybe it's just like a key workout for you, your hardest workout of the week. Well, if you train low for your other workouts, meaning you know, instead of low-carbohydrate availability – and then you use carbohydrates, You know, is, I think of it as, as like, sugar is a sometimes drug in the, in the athlete of the fitness sector, meaning if you use it sparingly and then pull it out when you need like a weapon for the big event, it works really well. So what you do is you train low and you compete or you race or you do your key workouts high, meaning like most of the workouts, no carbs beforehand, and then for the ones where you really gotta go to the pain cave or the ones where you're actually competing or racing, then you do the carbohydrates and the body's carbohydrate utilization and glycogen storage increases from that type of approach. And there's some really cool research now being done on that whole train low, race high type of approach.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of using carbs as a performance enhancing tool. Um, You know, because I feel like so frequently we, I mean your your average American is consuming 300 grams of carbohydrates every single day at a time when, you know, leisure time physical activity is at an all time low, so. Uh, this this idea of using carbohydrates deliberately and um, and with the intent of of supporting your your athletic performance, I think is uh, yeah that's a that's a crucial idea. Is there anything over the course of writing this you know your the, your new six hundred page tome that uh, that surprised you? Mm, that's a really good question.
1: Um, yeah, I mean you know wh- one thing from a longevity standpoint. I mean there were there were certain uh, certain case studies where you definitely have those people that completely defy everything the blue zones do. Right? These are like the cigarette smoking, whiskey chugging grandmas who are living, you know, to 110. You know, in some cases, almost 120 years old, and uh, they, they're seeming to defy everything that that you know research is showing as far as like autophagy and limiting mTOR activation and what the blue zones are doing and. You know the the studies on on you know rapamycin and yeast and fruit flies and, and and fungus and rodent models and and when you step back and look at the big picture though there there's these variables that seem to be even more important than than food um, or supplementation and one big one is relationships or right? like family dinners groups tribes neighborhood activities not having a lone wolf mentality having a sport that you can play as a group with other people you know basically you know if you if you walk into our house starting at about 7.30 in the evening, like all the work goes aside, our family, you know, perfect scenario last night, right? Like, so our family, you know, gathers together for dinner. The kids are done with jujitsu and tennis and, you know, they're homeschooling and everything else. And, you know, mom's got this wonderful roast chicken and, and, and roasted carrots that she've made. And we pour a glass of wine, we gather around the table and we have this huge uh, this this huge shelf of board games and card games and so last night we picked table topics which is a great one you know you it's a it's, a, it's these cards you keep in the middle of the table and you pull a card and you read you know like one example of, of last night you know very 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 interesting questions like one last night that we pulled was would you discipline your kids the same way that you were disciplined growing up right like just just kind of a weird question like that and some are a little bit more playful like what superhero would you like to have at the dinner table with us tonight and why but you Know, we, we do that, we finish dinner, we pull out all of our, our canvases and watercolor paintings, and we gather as a family after dinner. We paint for an hour and then we crawl upstairs and I read the kids a story. And you know, I played them a Christmas song on the ukulele and we go to bed. And I mean, that type of stuff like, yeah, we probably could have sat around the dinner table smoking cigarettes and eating, you know, KFO beef and <laughs> and and that that relationship that happiness and that gathering as a family would have trumped a lot of the unhealthy components of the diet another another similar one is belief in a higher power. We see this over and over again the the hope and the direction life and the purpose that seems to be derived from from kind of living living your life with that that settling in your spirit that you know there there's there's uh, Someone that you can pray to and that you can rely upon on a daily basis, kind of like this constant spiritual companion by your side during the day. You know we see in in like churchgoers and the people who have that belief in a higher power, that there's also an increase in longevity. and and you know, regardless of your religious belief, I think that that a big part of that has to do with the fact that nearly every religion carries with it, you know aside from like the modern evangelical church in America, for example, Um, you know, this, this emphasis on the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual disciplines being things like meditation, fasting, silence, solitude, study, prayer, patience, compassion, a gratitude practice. And, you know, I, I think that that that's a big, big variable that a lot of people neglect. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I, I've been studying the spiritual disciplines heavily. There's, there's a wonderful author named Richard Foster. I've gone through all his books. I'm taking my family through another book called the, the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook right now, where each month we focus on a new one. Right, like one month we'll focus on celebration, another month we'll focus on gratitude, another month we'll focus on fasting. And it's just a, it's a really, really good way to go beyond just all this stuff about supplements and food and and you know the infrared versus the far infrared sauna or whatever else we you know, <laughs> we, we bick, bicker about in the health and fitness sector and you know it's it's those things that I guess I always knew they were important but man in writing the book I just you know the, the light bulb really went off for me as far as like how important a lot of that stuff is and, and really that's that's one big reason that I wanted to write the book because I think the health and fitness world really does need to get the message that all of us are caring for our bodies and our brains while the one thing that i think is the most important thing about being a human being our soul is just kind of shriveled up inside a lot of people and being able to spark that to life with a gratitude practice and a meditation practice and going out and maybe delivering some wine or cookies to your to your neighbor and shaking their hand and getting to know their name or you know when they're when they're gone at work sneaking out and shoveling their their sidewalk i mean there's just those those things are things that feed the soul and that feed the spirit and ultimately you know long answer to your question but i think those are just as important as any food or supplement feeding the soul
0: but it's ama- and it's amazing that people that you know in these blue zones and and even the outliers you know the the you know 97 year old woman or whatever who smokes a cigarette every day i mean they've got to be practicing you know some level of gratitude to be to be, you know, to be alive, right? I mean, that's like, that seems to be oh, yeah. a, co- a common denominator, denominator that supersedes any of these sort of like, you know, dietary uh, factors that we, that we love to talk about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when we wake up, uh, we, and we use a gratitude journal and everybody goes around and we write down one thing we're grateful for. write down one truth that we discovered that morning because we have this practice in our home where when you wake up in the morning the first thing you do is you read something that that again feeds the spirit like a devotional or the Bible or a proverb or anything like that and then the last question in addition to what am I grateful for and what truth did I discover today is what's one person or who's one person who I could pray for or help or serve today and so what that means is that every single day there's like one person who you're going out of your way for, and if you add that up, you know if you do that for, for you know ten years, it's thousands and thousands of people who you're thinking of, sending positive energy towards, going out of your way to help, picking up the phone and calling. And I just I just think it's a it's a wonderful way to start the day.
0: What role does uh, music play in your life? I know that uh, one of your dreams you've talked about openly is to be is to write a song or to write an to produce an album, right? To be a singer songwriter. Yeah,
1: yeah. I actually went down to LA a few weeks ago and did my first three-song set in a professional recording studio down there. And then um, I also just uh, speak of the devil. Five days ago, recorded uh, a Christmas album for. Well, it's not an album. It's it's a it's a one song that I recorded in a recording studio. My first original that I that I wrote for her, and I'm gonna give that to her on Christmas. And uh, when you look at music, I mean, not only do we know that that sound frequencies sound healing is actually a thing i mean you know when you look at ultrasound or you look at that new thing called gains wave that people are doing for their dicks to you know give them better erections or whatever like that sound can break up kidney stones it can break up old blood vessels and it can also vibrate cells those frequencies can cause a release of dopamine or serotonin or other feel-good chemicals um we, we know that that sound had music especially you know they've done Uh, research on exercise showing an increase in time to fatigue and a decreased rating of perceived exertion when music is used during exercise. I mean, even even the the realm of of psychedelics and plant medicine, a huge component of plant medicine therapy is the music used during that therapy, like the ikaros used during an ayahuasca or DMT session, or the tracks that that a lot of times are are placed over the years with noise blocking headphones that folks will use during a psilocybin session or an MDMA session. like the music is what is used to move you into that that state of higher consciousness. and so it's it's incredibly important. and you know, the, the, for, for me personally, um, and in our house, it's just, it, it's picking up the ukulele at the end of the day. It's strumming on the guitar. It's, you know, these days when I come across a cool quote from a book, I circle it and I add it to a little Evernote document I keep about maybe a song I could write that incorporates that quote, like I'm working on one right now, uh, called No Regrets, Only Gratefulness, you know, about this idea that, you know, li- life is pretty complex, and we never know the zigzag-like path that's going to take us to where we want to go. And, you know, you, you could look back and you could think, oh, man, I I I just can't believe that, whatever. I spent, let's take me personally, right? I spent 15 years in the fitness sector, you know, in in kind of like the, the shiny Zumba glitter spandex, you know, dumbbell curls, Jamba <laughs> juice, you know, go to the health club and work on your body and your six-pack abs and all vanity and, you know, man how did i waste you know 15 years you know teaching people how to basically pursue this this emptiness and escape from you know what what they really needed you know more human connectivity or more interdependence not not the independence that comes from making yourself resilient or or looking better on a magazine cover but you know what all that time was spent creating this scenario where i'm now able to turn to that world and say yo Here's some stuff that's 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 as important, if not more important, and you know, no regrets about spending that time because now I can be grateful that that I have an even greater message to share with that crowd. You know, that I have no regrets, only gratefulness. Now I'm working on a song about no regrets, only gratefulness. That's that's another way that I'll incorporate music into my life and. Um, yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm a huge fan. You know, we're a very musical family, and we love to sing together. And we even know that singing, in addition to chanting and humming and even gargling, can activate the vagus nerve. So we come full circle to the nervous system and how good it is for the nervous system. And you know, I just I just think that music brings joy, in addition to a lot of other healing effects. And uh, of course, there are even there are sound healers as well. There's a guy I interviewed on my podcast, uh, Porngui down in Sedona, Arizona and he has like a sound healing table and you know he'll like blast you with the didgeridoo and drums and cymbals while he's doing like deep tissue work on you and it's just like this crazy three hour mashup of sound healing and and deep tissue work there's another guy named uh, Michael Tyrell who creates these tracks called Whole Tones that you can just like sit in front of a pair of speakers and blast yourself with this music that's just like incredibly soothing and therapeutic and de-stresses you at the end of the day you know we look at you know, we look look at look in the in the Bible, you know, there's a king named King Saul in the Bible and he would have David before David was like this great king in Israel. He would just like hire David because he would have like these fits, like almost like these psychotic fits and he'd hire David to come play the harp. And as soon as David would play the harp, like King Saul's, you know, his, his psychotic fits would just like kind of melt away. So we know there's something going on there. And um, I, I think music should definitely be a, a part of people's lives and, and even used in things like you know therapy and healing.
0: Couldn't agree more. If I have you ever messed around with uh, the Yamaha Gitalele No, no. Uh-huh. A, if I if I might make a recommendation. So I, I play guitar and. um I, a couple years ago discovered this. Uh, it's called a gitalele because it's ukulele sized, but it has six strings. So it can be played like a guitar, and the strings are nylon, so they're very easy on your fingers. Mm. But it you know, I, first of all, I love the sound of a nylon guitar, and you could throw this guitar like in your backpack and travel with it super easily. But it's almost replaced playing actual guitars for me because it just sounds great. For me, in particular, because I sort of have more of a baritone voice, um, it's sort of got like a higher pitch, and so it just goes really well with my voice, but it's just, it's a, it's a $100 guitar, so it's like, oh. it's super inexpensive, but it's like the best $100 you could possibly spend on a musical instrument, in my opinion. So it's the Yamaha GL1 Gittelele. It's like such a great investment. I play it all the time. Oh my goodness.
1: Well, wow, how cool. You know, I... I Currently play a baritone ukulele, and I play that because it's strung in with, with the same tuning as a guitar, but it's only the final four strings of the guitar. So this one with six strings sounds it sounds like a real step up from that. So yeah, it's I'll, dope. I'll look into it. I'm going to add that to my Christmas wish list.
0: Add it. It's a hundred bucks, and you can play all the songs. I mean, you could play like if you know how to play songs on guitar, you could translate them easily to the ukulele. They're just going to be you know up a few keys, but um, but yeah, it's a great it's a great little device. Um love it. So we're almost out of time, but uh, before we get to the last question, uh, Mr. Greenfield, how can listeners connect with you on social media and where can they find your book, more importantly? Oh, thanks,
1: man. The the book is at boundlessbook.com. And then my website where I've got all of my you know my podcasts, my articles, my social media, all that jazz is just Ben Greenfield Fitness. You know, that's my Instagram handle and all that jazz too. So bengreenfieldfitness.com and BoundlessBook.com.
0: Beautiful. Well, the last question that gets asked everybody that's on the show, and I feel like I've asked you before, but I like to see how people, people's answers to this question evolve. Um, sometimes they evolve in really surprising ways. Uh, what does it mean to you to live like a genius?
1: Hmm. I've forgotten about this question. Uh, to live like a genius. Um, you know, my, my gut response is to get out of your your comfort zone you know i used to say and i'm back in my my iron man days you know go out and do something that that scares the hell out of you at least once every quarter you know whether it be skydiving or jumping off that cliff above the river or the lake or the ocean that kind of scares you or you know going to to try out a a jujitsu class just you know speaking on stage doing a comedy show just doing something that takes you way outside your comfort zone and i i still think that that's that's an exciting adventurous way to live life but i also think that every single day you should do something that just makes some smoke come out your ears whether that's you know like on, on my app i've got one of those n back training devices that trains your, your short-term memory that can open that thing up when i'm standing in line somewhere or waiting for an airplane to leave and and do a few rounds of that that kind of makes me furrow my brows and and scrunch forward and figure out how to how to how to get to a higher level on that you know uh, playing a game of chess, learning a new song on the on the ukulele or the guitar or now the now the I guess um, <laughs> Learning to cook a new meal, like if you usually, whatever, skillet your your salmon, maybe grab a, a sous-vide wand and learn how to sous-vide. I think that, you know, one of, one of the coolest things we can do is just just learn and take ourselves outside of our comfort zone. Human beings are innately afraid of change, right? Like we know, and that's a big part of trauma therapy, right? Like a human being innately wants to be safe, and sometimes that innate desire to be safe keeps us from from wanting to implement change, it keeps some people from doing something as simple as you know getting a getting a haircut, you know, for and say, keeping the same hairstyle for 20 years. Or it'll keep other people from you know going and resolving that conflict that they had with their brother or their sister 10 years ago because we just like to live our lives with this this safety. There's a great book by Napoleon Hill called Outwitting the Devil. It's a, the book is underplayed compared to his other book called Think and Grow Rich, but an Outwitting the Devil. He talks about like this paralytic hypnosis that we get into where we just live our lives in the state of, of, of hypnosis. Same thing day in, day out. We never progress. And that's like one of the tools that the that the devil uses to keep us from fulfilling our true purpose in life. And I, re- I really like that idea. So, so every day I would encourage folks to just think, okay, am I playing it too safe? Can I get outside my comfort zone? Can I do something new today that maybe just in a little way – defies my natural built-in tendency to be safe 100% of the time and i think it just opens up the doors to to adventure and joy and fulfillment and purpose and just living as, as a as a full live vibrant human being
0: dude i love that man i always i always love talking to you because i feel like you bring you bring the science but then there's a real sort of humanistic perspective to your views as well uh, must come from living up there in Spokane, like uh, living in li- living in the yeah. woods, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, you get you get a little weird when you're isolated out here in, in, in inland Washington State. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> when are you uh, expecting to get your Wi-Fi back? I know you said that you had uh, you were you were lacking in Wi-Fi in your in your house.
1: Well, I don't have Wi-Fi in my house. I uh, I'm not a fan of the the dirty electricity thing. Everything's hardwired with Cat Seven shielded Ethernet cable. Huh. But uh, there's a parabolic microwave antenna. And uh, apparently, at some point in the past few weeks, a tree fell down somewhere, or some new building got constructed, or something that blocks that antenna. So I think they're they're working on it. Should be up in the next week or so.
0: Oh man! All right. Well, I look forward to hanging with you. Uh, you know, the next time we get to whether it's a conference or you know a workout or what have you. And um, to all you guys out there listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Please spread the message about what we're doing here at The Genius Life. Highlight your favorite quote from Ben or I. Tag us both. Pick up his new book. It's called Boundless, available everywhere. And I will catch you on the next episode. Peace.